Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. Paul Ribb is an incredibly successful and motivated individual, a former banker in the City of London, trustee for a number of charities, and now British number one visually impaired tennis player. Paul will let nothing stop him on his road to success. And he joins me now. Paul, thank you for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. Now, you have a condition called macular dystrophy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, certainly, Jill. It hit me most severely in 2007, where I simply woke up, uh, went to work and, and just couldn't read uh, or see very clearly. Um, went down to Moorfields and was diagnosed with macular dystrophy, which is basically the dry form of macular degeneration, where you effectively get scarring on your retina, which affects your central vision. And pretty rapidly, you lose all sense and ability to read and see faces. But fortunately, my peripheral vision was saved by a a Moorfield surgeon uh, through a a procedure, um, which is very similar to cataract surgery. And I have okay peripheral. Now, am I right in saying that this all happened in your late 30s, Paul? That's right, Jill. Yeah. Um, 37, in fact. Now, Paul, I mean, I'm not much older than that now. I mean, I'm I'm approaching 40. And I know that for me, losing my sight at 19, it was very catastrophic. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was very young, uh, very resilient and out to prove a point. But at the age of 37, with, you know, a really well-established career behind you, and that must have been a real shock. Yeah, it, it- it's it's life changing uh, mentally and physically. Really, it affects people in, in many different ways. But uh, I reached out to I guess the the sight loss community and got involved with with a number of the uh, societies and, and charities to meet uh, other like minded people, which was which was very helpful. Um, but you know you go through the the crises that that, that changes you. And uh, I got divorced. I I changed career, stopped driving, and um, you come out of it the other end stronger more resourceful but uh, but it is it is a very very big issue yeah I'm really comfortable with where I'm at at the moment I've been very very lucky on my journey but what I always explain to people is you've got to try and find the right path and, and the right technology uh, the right social group and community to, to latch on to to learn about how to best cope and, and live your life obviously friends and family are important but really the responsibility stops uh, with yourself so I made it really my my mission to get on top of the technology, the sports, the general sort of living with sight loss to make it seem as effortless and, and as seamless as possible. You're doing an absolutely remarkable job. You know, I met you recently at a conference, Paul, and I was blown away with just what you've achieved before losing your sight and uh, since you've lost your central vision. And uh, you actually, I mean, you had some really fantastic jobs. I mean, you're still uh, working in fantastic areas, but you were uh, managing director for RBS. You were an executive director for Lehman Brothers. That's huge. No, thanks, Joe. It's. I mean, I had a wonderful career um, as a graduate, and then you know, in, in in investment banking. You know, I have to hand it to all of my employers that, that they were very, very helpful in allowing me to get on top of the uh, the challenges that I faced. The most impressive for me was RBS because I went after Lehman collapsed. I went to RBS, and um, at that stage, I already had the visual impairment problems that I was coping with. But I got on top of a lot of the technology. I uh, was still finding it very difficult to perform in real, real-time real trading environments, but uh, RBS were very, very good to me. 
And it was there that I got promoted to managing director whilst I was making that uh, that difficult transition. It's absolutely incredible the fact that you managed to get that kind of promotion to the status that you were promoted to whilst you were going through all that. It's a testament to you know just what a strong individual you are. Now, um, you're also very passionate about charity and the organisations that have helped you out. In fact, you're trustee for RNIB and a trustee for the Macular Society as well. Yes, yeah, no, thanks, Jill. I mean, you know, that journey has been made that much easier for having reached out to those charities. I, I was very much alone after the consultation uh, and trying to come to terms with what, what the diagnoses meant. So I reached out to um, the Macular Society, the RNIB, and also most helpfully for me, uh, Blind in Business, which happened to be situated in the city of London. So very, very convenient, pretty much next door to my office. So I, I literally went from Moorfields where I was diagnosed back to my office uh, and then next door to Blind in Business, uh, pretty much all within an hour. And it was that introduction to Blind in Business, which I think really saved me from either myself or from the demons that uh, uh, that might come to get you uh, with the uh, the onset of sight loss. Sometimes I am very appreciative for uh, the things that have come my way. And I know that none of them would have come my way had it not been really for uh, the dramatic changes in my sight. So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny how these things turn out. Now, Paul, you mentioned that, you know, after your diagnosis, it was quite a lonely experience for you because, you know, it doesn't matter how many people are around you at the time. I mean, I had my friends and my family, as I'm sure you did. But, you know, it is a very lonely, isolating kind of feeling. And we know that a lot of blind people across the UK and indeed across the world do feel very lonely with their sight loss. Do you feel that affected your relationship at the time and your relationships kind of around you? you know friends your your wife it was it your blindness or your sight loss that contributed to that yeah most certainly it, it changes you I mean I, I'm a very independent um stubborn probably uh, uh kind of guy who likes to just get on and do things for myself and for others and to lose that independence the type of um familiarity that I had uh, and that I felt that I was losing control of uh, did did affect me and it affected my confidence and that would have affected my mood, which absolutely uh, led to um, uh, the downfall of uh, my marriage, yeah, I would say. Now, we cannot have an interview with you, Paul, without talking about uh, sport, because you've mentioned it a couple of times. And uh, I have to say, when I met you recently, you were very, very, very modest about <laughs> your uh, tennis. And uh, you have really, really taken tennis to your heart, haven't you? Did you play before you uh, lost your central vision? You're very kind, Jill, to say I'm modest. I mean, most of my friends and my daughters in particular will laugh at that because when I meet people, it, they often, my daughters will sort of literally look at their watches to count how long it takes for me to mention the sport, the tennis and, and the fact that I'm defending the the title next uh, weekend. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very exciting to be involved in, um, in a sport that's growing as, as fast as visually impaired tennis is growing. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, so before I uh, had bad sight issues, um, I did loads of sport. Uh, I loved it, but I wasn't, I didn't really excel at any of them. I was just, a, you know, just one of the guys that was in a team, played football. I'd, I'd play tennis with my friends. I'd usually lose to my friends at tennis. Um, my excuse now is that that's just simply because I couldn't see and the ball was too fast. 
Um, but now I, I get to beat them at my own uh, my own game. And so they, they joke that I've actually found a sport that suits me that I can actually beat everybody at, which um, I guess everybody's always going to be looking for. And I just happen to have found it in, in visually impaired tennis. Well, one thing you haven't mentioned so far is the fact that you are British number one uh, in visual impairment tennis, and of which is just an incredible feat. I mean, it's obvious that no matter what you touch in life, Paul, you are just successful. Well, no, it's, it's, it's very kind. I, mean, I do I do throw my all into it, uh, into all the things that I do. And um, funny enough, with, with the visually impaired tennis, I mean, the first time I stumbled across it, it was through a Macula Society, the working age member group forum I, I was at. And a lady came down to talk about sport and what Metro Blind Sport was all about. And tennis looked very interesting because it was competitive. It was physically demanding in the way that they were playing it. And I went down to try it out down in, in Southfield uh, near Wimbledon. And I was just blown away just with how excited everybody was to be part of it. The group that was playing it were, were phenomenal fun. And the, the game just transformed your level of awareness and fitness. The whole hand-eye coordination thing. Um, was phenomenal so literally from completely blind to partially sighted players each competing uh, within different sight categories against each other it was, it was just wonderful to see and from there those groups all those years ago four or five years ago I think was when I started um, it's now mushroomed into this national sport which is um, managed literally managed now by the British Tennis Foundation. It's absolutely amazing. It really is. And about time too, because there's not much uh, in the way of visual impaired tennis in the UK. Um, it is getting bigger, but that's thanks to the likes of, of yourself, Paul. You know, you're out there, you're winning competitions and you're spreading the word. How does it actually work? Because when I first heard of visual impaired tennis, as a former tennis player myself, um, I kind of thought, well, the racket must be about the same size as your body. The ball must be like, you know, twice the size of a football. Um, um, but it's not quite like that, is it? It's not. I mean, funny enough, what you described is, is blind cricket almost. I mean, in blind <laughs> cricket, they play with a very large ball uh, and, uh, and you know, effectively um, they're, they're getting away with that uh, and having a lot of fun. But blind tennis is is simply very, very similar to the, uh, to the sighted game in that we play on traditional tennis courts, uh, typically indoor because you get better sound acoustics indoor than out and, and you don't have the wind and the rain affecting uh, the flight of the ball. It was actually invented by the Japanese so um, for the totally blind. So they play it actually blindfolded. And um, basically we are using a Japanese sponge ball which has a bell in, in, the, in the core of it. And it's uh, slightly larger than a normal tennis ball. But we play with normal tennis rackets on normal courts. And at the moment, the uh, the competitive court size is three-quarter court length. So we literally have some throw-down lines um, that go down for the three-quarter length line. And then we're using the, the tennis court as normal. I'm actually devastated that I gave away my tennis racket. You know, my fabulous tennis yeah. racket that I loved many years ago when I lost my sight. I might have to try and get that back, I have to say. But, um, mm. you know, you do rely on volunteers, though, don't you? And I believe, you know, you're needing more volunteers all the time to help out, aren't you? Yeah, we are. I mean, we've, we've been wonderfully supported through the years, um, in particular by the uh, the Highgate Tennis Club, which which I'm now a member of as well. Um, lovely lady called Linda Allman. She's been very much spearheading the the volunteer network for uh, ensuring that we had ball girls and referees and umpires down for the tournaments. For the last couple of years, the British Tennis Foundation and the LTA, they actually provide the official umpires um, to referee our, our tournament matches. And, and the tournament's actually hosted down at the 
National Tennis Centre. So it's a you know we get the full fanfare um, being uh, VI tennis players, and uh, and that's down to yes a lot of the volunteers that still come and support the game, uh, and the fact that the uh, the Tennis Foundation has taken it under its un- under its wing. And I've been doing my research on you, Mr. Rib. Uh, apparently, you thrash your sighted friends at tennis as well, which is great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I beat my friends at, at, at VI tennis for sure. It's a it's a very very physically demanding game now, and I, I would ha- I would have to say I've become very fit as a result of playing it and walking my dog every day. Um, but now I'm playing in a sighted ladder uh, with really very good players who are now playing the VI game against me in, in Highgate, and I am getting thrashed myself um, by some of these top players. So it it it, it works both ways, but. Uh, I think everybody's enjoying the experience of, uh, of and the challenge of, of, of playing the sport. Fantastic. Well, just finally, you've got a massive tournament coming up this weekend. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks, Jill. It's um, this Saturday and Sunday. We have the National Tennis uh, Championships for VIs taking place in uh, the National Tennis Centre in Roehampton. And I am going to be defending my title for... Uh, this is the fourth time, so I'm hoping to make it four times in a row. The exciting thing about this tournament, one is um, it's it's very, very well uh, attended uh, in terms of the um, the player numbers are, are up every year, and that's what makes it very exciting in terms of the quality of all the players has improved dramatically. But this is the first now feeder, I believe, for the international visually impaired tournament that's due to take place next April. So, uh, so we're all very excited about that. And if anybody wants to get in touch or, or you know find out more about visually impaired tennis what would you suggest Paul? Yeah no thanks Jill for, for mentioning that so basically visually impaired tennis is played throughout the UK at the moment there are six regional hubs that, that concentrate on on the, um, the, the regional VI tennis um, and they are funnily enough in Cambridge where you've got Vision for Growth which runs the, uh, the visually impaired tennis sessions down in Cambridge Birmingham York, um, obviously London, and you've basically got uh, in London that the central hub effectively running VI tennis is Metro Blind Sports. So I'd urge people to get in touch with Metro Blind Sports. Up north, uh, up in Newcastle, which is the second largest tournament of the season, typically in May of each year, uh, that's run by the Newcastle um, uh, group. But I would urge people to, to have a go and play the game and go along to one of those regional hubs and uh, you'll never look back because the fitness, the enjoyment of meeting the people and playing in the competitions, it's, it's, it's really invigorating. Paul, it's been incredibly interesting talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. The very best of luck with the tennis and all your future endeavours. You are always a winner no matter what. Thank you for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. Thank you very much, Jill. For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.